This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. All right, everybody. We have an awesome guest for you for free for Freebie Friday. Uh, as always, Freebie Friday is sponsored by JLD Hot Sauces and Knives. Guys, they have the best hot sauce. Their award-winning hot sauce, Boot Jolikia. Andrew, I butchered it, right? It's Not extra hot is my personal favorite. Thai flavors. They also have Reaper Madness Special Reserve made with the Reaper Pepper from Carolina. And for the Brave, you can get the Death Shot. It has the extract of 10 Reaper chilies in each one-ounce bottle. JLD also has the highest quality handmade knives you'll find anywhere, including ones for hunting, fishing, and cooking. And guess what, guys? This month, we have a special offer. If you go to JLDSharpSauce.com and use the code SAINTS and get 10% off your order, that's JLDSharpSauce.com. Use the code SAINTS. If you spend $25, we will send you a sweet, sweet Saints Happy Hour podcast magnet. Uh, so do it now. All right. So we got the man, the legend, the this guy, people, Nick Underhill. People, Nick, people text me and DM me, and they're like, why don't you argue with Nick? I'm like, I do not argue with the man who has charted every single Drew Brees pass. I don't do that. Do I make argue? I make Eli Apple jokes on the morning news for Channel Four. That's my lane. I don't argue with Nick about X's and O's. You used to fight me a little bit. I did, but then I was like, he's just out of my way. Like the thing is, Nick, I tried to do X's and O's, but people like you are so much better at it, and I just like I'm not good at it. Like I tried to dive into it, and it's just, it's not my thing. So I'm just like, no, it's not my thing anymore. I'm just gonna do I'm just gonna do my jokes and my Saints history, and that's my thing. Um, so here's the thing. The Saints are playing Philadelphia, and before we get to all the X's and O's and why we have you, I feel like I want to talk to you. You cover the Saints, and you've covered New England, and I feel like I want you to explain differences between covering Belichick and the guy who wheels in $200,000 of cash on top of the Lombardi, like a rap producer. Um, it just seems so different. Is it as different? Is it as different covering the two teams as I imagined it would be? Yeah, it is. And people like to think that they're kind of like the same guy because they both come from the Parcells tree. And I mean, there are some similarities there and just the way they run practices and organize things and everything. But yeah, I mean, I think the example you just gave was was probably like the best one ever. Like Belichick's not wheeling in two hundred thousand dollars like at all. He's probably just like gonna stand up there and be like, you know, let, let's go win it again, and you know that's it. But like, you know, Sean does. You know, he 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 does a little bit of theatrics. He's he's a more emotional guy. I think. You know, he's definitely true himself. Like when I saw that tweet yesterday, like at first I'm like, no way this happened. And then I was like, wait, this sounds like it absolutely happened. Like Sean definitely did this. He flew in a mascot from Michigan State to, to troll his players. Like this, this really like is totally in line with what he does. And I mean, you, you know, the other thing though is if if, if Belichick did that, like I don't, uh, I just don't feel like an attorney would have heard about it either. You know, I, I just, you know, somebody somebody would be hung out, you know, as an example for everybody right now. And you know, 
I don't think they like that stuff getting out, but I don't think that it's nearly as secretive as, as New England is. And that that's a good thing. He kind of lets his players, you know, be themselves. And I think having that personality is one of the reasons they're playing so well this year. And, you know, they like that fun and they do all that stuff. And there's the dance videos and you just would not have any of that stuff in New England. And if it did happen, it definitely would not be posted on social media because, you know, Belichick has a team of people probably scrolling everything all the time. Today. <laughs> just nothing ever gets out. It's true. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Hey, Nick. So, um, yeah, let me uh, let me jump in here, Nick. Um, so I, I've I've got uh, so you know as we're approaching the playoffs, you're feeling this, I'm sure, on Twitter. Saints fans in general, Saints Twitter particularly, are in a full state of panic. I was hoping that the injury report that came out yesterday, which suggested that everyone's back at practice, although five of the six top offensive linemen are limited. So we, we don't really know what that means. I, I, well, I kind of want to ask you like, as far as a guy being limited at practice, what does that actually mean? Cause I, I think you actually show up at the practices, you see them go through it. How, are they like off to the side, like just doing side work? Are they, doing half of practice then sitting out the second half or are they pretty involved like when, when you see something like limited how it is it's so vague what does that typically mean uh we don't see the whole practice we see about maybe 20 minutes of it and it's you know stretch jogging uh, a little bit of positional work and then we're out of there so we don't we don't see the whole practice. We don't see team drills or, or anything like that and that's probably kind of where you would see if if somebody's actually you know working towards playing or or not so it, it's tough to get a gauge on it but you know when we're out there we we do see them running uh you know yesterday we saw the offensive line doing a little bit of you know one-on-one -on -one blocking um and i didn't see anybody uh sitting out then but i mean you know those aren't live reps so you, you could hide something a little bit but you know you know bushrod has a hamstring and you see bushrod Into that injury report yesterday was really weird to me because it's you know a bunch of guys that hadn't practiced in two weeks are now limited and you know i'm looking at it like oh okay these guys are on the on the right track they're they're probably getting close to playing if not you know this week next week and <laughs> it seemed like everybody's like oh well they're limited this is a big deal and it's like no this is this is probably a really really good thing uh you know andrew speed has a hand injury you you can probably hide that in the playoff game you know you probably play through it Bushrod's running you know armstead to me that's that's the wild card. Uh, you know, I feel like if, if he can if he can get that arm going, he probably will try to play. You know, that's just who he is. I just don't know if he plays, even if if you look at it like, oh, okay, he's back. I think you look at it like, okay, he's out there for as long as he can be out there. And whether that's a whole playoff run or two quarters, you kind of take what you can get and, and hope for the best. But I'm looking more at Bushrod just for that safety net because the drop-off from Armstead to Bushrod is one thing. The drop-off from Armstead to Will Clapp, who, you oh know— he's developing it's a huge drop though so i mean well, you know they need that safety net well that's my question and we've sort of discussed it on the podcast and andrew has a theory but from you what's sort of the crossover point from okay they're missing this guy and maybe this guy or whatever to and it'll be okay to okay they've crossed over now it might be a crisis. Like, what's the amount of guys they can miss and, and shuffling you can, they can do where you'll be like, oh, it'll be okay, and then it comes to, no, it's going to be a problem. 
I don't know if you hit crisis mode this week against Philadelphia just because, you know, I think the Saints receivers will be be able to get open pretty quickly. So even if if you are, at, you know, Will Clapp playing, starting, playing the whole game, you know, I think you can get rid of the ball pretty quickly and, and, and still be okay. Against Dallas, so you know, they got the linebackers in the middle of the field. It's not going to be open. Kamara's not going to be getting open really quick. Uh, you know, they can get physical with Mike Thomas and and – you know, you decide in that last game, if, if the line's bad against Dallas, their defense is, is so good that it could be a problem. And then, you know, the Rams, you kind of look at who's healthy, but I, I feel like they could hide it there again. But the spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. You know, it's just, if uh, you know if the line's healthy, I think Dallas is a really good game for them. You know, you, you just kind of lean on the trenches both sides and, and you should come out favorably and, and be able to beat them. But if your line's banged up, you know, now can you score the 24 points that you probably need to score to beat them? I, I don't know. Nick, we shared some text this week, and um, I uh, I had a tweet earlier this week that kind of touched on this. Uh, so I think I know what you're going to say, but I, I'd like for especially the panicking Saints fans that listen to this to hear it. Um, and my feeling was, you know, the Saints are 13-3. and three. They're the top seed, and yes, Philadelphia is, is a different team than when they played them last, and they look a lot better. Nick Foles has got it going. They were very fortunate to get out of Chicago, but nonetheless – you know, they get out of there with the win and now you've got eight teams left and you know, every game theoretically is going to be hard. You're going to get everyone's best shot. You know, there's eight teams left in the league that are theoretically the best eight left. So by no means is this going to be easy. But when I look at these two teams, this is why I personally feel so confident. You look at the Saints, the number one seed, 13 and three, they're playing at home. And then when you look at these two rosters up against each other, I just feel like you go up and down the roster with the exception of maybe tight end. I don't see a single spot. I mean, quarterback, the saints are better playmaker. Kamara is the best receiver. Michael Thomas is better than anything. The Eagles have number one corner. Lattimore is better linebackers. I give the edge to the saints best pass rusher. Cam Jordan best kicking game. Lutz is better than Elliott. So, I mean, I go up and down the roster, and I'm strongly on the Saints' side. Of a weighted advantage. 
Did you guys know that uh, Nick Poles won five of his last six games, but Drew Brees has won 14 of his last 15? Did you guys know that? <laughs> I did not know that, no. This is uh, news I mean, to me. Right? I mean, because, you know, the Saints only beat him by 41. So <laughs> it's just weird to me that, like, there seems to be, like, so much talk about, like, this being a scary game and everything. I, I just don't – I don't see it. I mean, it's going to be – it's going to be a different game. I, I'm so sick of saying that already because, like, everywhere I talk but... – it is going to be a different game. They aren't going to win by 41, but they're playing a team they beat by 41, and that team lost their starting quarterback, and that starting quarterback was the MVP last year before he got hurt. And their team is playing better, and there probably is a belief when Nick Foles is in there because they won a Super Bowl with him. And, you know, that's a, that's a great thing, and it can be a powerful thing that you kind of rally behind, but he's not as good as the other quarterback. So, you know, I I just I just think the Saints are, like you said, I just think they're they're better everywhere and you know they should win this game i feel like pretty easily i'm gonna pick them by 11 points at least when, when i put in my prediction and you know i feel pretty comfortable with that it, it could be more it could be less it's the playoffs weird stuff happens but if, if they don't kind of handle them I'm, I'm gonna be looking at this game a little bit funny and it's like you know it, they just killed them the last game I, I don't understand why so many people are scared of this team is it this weird thing yeah. about them like going for broke and playing with house money and you know, I, I don't really even understand what that means. They're the defending Super Bowl champions, they have a lot to lose. They have their season to lose. So I, well, I just don't get it. Well, here's I'll, I'll, I have a question for you that you – a really interesting statistic that you guys had on your podcast that I listened to yesterday. But before I get to that, my fear with Nick Foles is being in Houston. And I watched that Texan game, and he lit up the Texans secondary – and granted, it took 474 yards, four touchdowns, and they and Philadelphia still barely won because their secondary can't cover anybody. Um, so that's that's in the back of my mind. But the, you brought up an interesting point on you guys' podcast. Nick Foles, he throws to a certain spot on the field all the time. Could you explain that to our our uh, our, our our listeners and what you found and how how it uh, may or may not affect what the Saints want to do? Yeah, I'm still trying to like figure out what exactly this means. So I kind of kind of figure out what it means to me. I'm still kind of like yeah, you got to keep tinkering in the lab. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's definitely a thing. Uh, he, he likes to throw between 10 and 19 yards to the right side of the field, and it's like it, it like the split from that area of the field to the left side of the field is 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 drastic. It's like you know 25 attempts to the right side and like. Five to the other side. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's like that split. Well, you know, it might be I might be a couple off off the top of my head. Like it's it's definitely that big, and you know he likes to go to the middle of the field, not right side of the field. And you know it, it's it's a thing where he he gets the ball out really quickly. I don't think they have him going through you know deep complex reads the same way as Wentz. So that, I think that's one thing that that kind of changes with the offense. And my initial theory is is that's why that's kind of happening, but. uh you know, it, it's it's definitely a thing, and if if they decide to play sides or, or something, it's just kind of you know somebody could kind of just you know set your defense up to kind of kind of have a little bit of uh, attention or, or maybe a lot of more on that side of the field, and you know I think that helps maybe make him a little bit more uncomfortable if you take away that that first read and he has to go elsewhere with the ball. But you know that that's definitely something that that's going on with him that you didn't have with once and. You know, those are the, the differences. You know, I think Bowles is a good quarterback. You know, he's probably better than, you know, maybe even, you know, Dak Prescott or, or something. But, you know, he, he's he's not a top 10 guy. I think Wentz is a top 10 guy. And I think, you know, 
Foles is probably a top 22 guy, you know? So it's just, I, he, he just doesn't scare me. I know he can do some things and they like to get a little bit more creative when he's in there, but he's just not as good of a quarterback. So if you look at what uh, the Steelers did, and that was obviously a great game, uh, very competitive, and the Steelers had some success moving the ball, and you know the Saints were fortunate to get out of that game with a win. They played well. They deserved a win, I think, but it, but it was hotly contested. Uh, when you look at Foles and you look at what the Eagles uh, – I just watched that Bears game, and there was a point in that game where they didn't even bother trying to run the football anymore. They were, it was just clear, like, we're not getting anywhere running the ball. It's not going to work out for us. You know, the Saints, for a long time this year, were number one in the NFL against the run. I think they end the year number two. Do you go into this game, you look at what the Steelers were able to do, and, and really that's that's the most recent tape where the Saints actually were trying in a game, and, and I think that you could actually take something away from what they were doing on film. Do you think Philadelphia goes into this game with a game plan offensively of like, we're not going to run the football, so we're barely going to even try and we're going to do the five wide. We're going to try to attack. We know we're deep at receiver, so we're going to try to attack the Eli Apples, the P.J. Williams. We're going to spread it out, and we're going to try to take advantage of our depth at receiver and that we're going to see a very skewed pass-to-run ratio. Do you, do you think that's how they kind of approach this game offensively? You know, I, I do respect that they've been in the run. There's a lot of teams that will just keep running into a brick wall just because they feel like they have to run and you know well this works off of this run play and Seattle, I, I did like example. it yeah or <laughs> you know the, the Saints have done it in some games too it's just you know they, they they wanted to work stuff off the run and they'll do it and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but you know I like teams where if it's not happening it's just screw it we aren't going to run the football and that's kind of been Philly for for a while here like they just kind of their running game just kind of fell off and it, it's been a little bit weird uh as far as the five wide stuff I you know, maybe it, it, I think that's something that, that would probably expose any team because a lot of teams just aren't that deep at the defensive back. But if you're forcing them to put Chris Banjo on the field, I, I guess you're kind of gaining an advantage there a little bit. Um, I just don't I don't see it from them. You know, their offense has actually been kind of shifting towards going more heavy. And, you know, obviously they could come into a game and, and do something and surprise everybody or just have, you know, a little package of, you know, nine, ten plays with with a bunch of receivers. And like you said, they are deep at receiver. So they are one team that could probably do that. And it wouldn't be too much of a stretch for them. You know, their top four are really good. And then I don't know who their fifth guy is, but you could definitely justify putting your fifth receiver out there, you know, but I, I just don't, I don't know if, if Foles is the guy to kind of do that. And you got five guys out there. So like you need a little bit, bit of time to let stuff develop. And that's just not really been his, his method of operation, but I'm, now that you mention it, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to do some of that because it did work so well for, for Pittsburgh, and it did kind of expose a little bit of a vulnerability within the Saints defense. Nick, uh, I've been on a couple of Eagles podcasts this week, and they – the, the podcast people that I talk to, they, they worry about their secondary, but they've sort of, they sort of say to me, look, our secondary has gotten a lot better Maddox is playing better. The rookie. Our secondary is a lot better than when you you guys face us. We've been really good the last month. And at first I was like, ah, oh, that's interesting. And then I looked 
at their schedule the last month. And my theory is they were, their secondary reminds me of like the 2014, 15, 16 Saints. Well, remember, the Saints would start in a hole, and then they'd get to 5-5, five and five, and the defense would look better because they'd play really bad quarterbacks and, and would be like, man, it's really turning the corner. It's They got it together. And then they would play Matt Cousins, would roast them. Yeah, yeah. Mariota, and they would just get roasted. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, they are terrible. Like, I feel like the Saints are going to be able to do whatever they want in the secondary with Philadelphia if they get time. Do you feel that way? And do you feel like there's a guy that's not a big name, maybe it's Ginn or Josh Hill or another guy that's going to have a big game because Philly's going to say, hey, if you want to win, throw it to Traquan Smith or throw it to Josh Hill, go ahead. How do you see what the Saints are going to do against that Philly secondary? You weren't you weren't buying into uh, Terrence Frederick. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I still Peter I, Warren, that one Monday night was fantastic. He, I still can't believe he was playing over Stanley Jean Baptiste. People were so mad when Pierre Warren got caught coming out of training camp. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you know, I I think you have a point. I mean, I think they are playing a little bit better, but you know, that's relatively speaking. They aren't playing better. Compared to the rest of the league, they're playing better than I think they were playing against the Saints. And I think their plan in that game was really dumb. Like, you you go back and watch it. There's plays where they have, you know, there's one play, uh, Traquan Smith, like, it's like it's 22 or 23-yard crossing route. Just comes right across the middle of the field. Nobody covering him. And over on the right sideline, Alvin and Mike Thomas are both running vertical routes, and there's four defenders. And it's like there was stuff like that happening in that first game that, that made a bad secondary look worse because they just had a really bad plan. And, you know, that was the funny thing. People were talking about that Dallas game, and it's like, oh, oh they're Dallas exposed something. The Saints are predictable. You know, Dallas realized that if you take away Mike Thomas and Alvin, they can't do anything. They put a cornerback on Alvin, and they doubled Mike, and that was it. And, oh, he couldn't go anywhere else with the ball. The Saints knew that. They signed Des Bryant. They signed Brandon Marshall. Just a lot of teams can't actually take away both guys while still stopping everybody else. So if they go into this game like that again, Ted Ginn's going to kill him. I mean, he's better than Trey Kwan. He's going to get open. And Trey Kwan was getting open that whole game, and Trey Kwan only got open in two games the whole season. So, <laughs> you know, it, I think I think if they try to do that stuff, everybody else is going to make them pay. And I could see, you know, Josh Hill having some plays. Uh, if they leave Dan Arnold on a, on a linebacker again, if Dan Arnold's active, you know, that was another thing they were doing. Like, you can't let Dan Arnold run a vertical route on third down with a linebacker and coverage and no safety over top. He's a wide receiver, actually. Like, they were just doing really dumb stuff in that game. And, you know, having a better plan, I think, is going to cut down on that 41 points. But, but I still think they're going to be able to do a lot of the things they want to do in, against that secondary. All right, Nick, let's simplify this. Uh, a lot of times Ralph and I will talk, and I'll tell him that I think this is a game where the Saints are so so superior that, it's a shenanigan game. In other words, the only way the Saints lose is if shenanigans happen. And shenanigans are, you know, a catastrophic injury at a key player where your depth is tested or a ridiculous overturn by a referee, which is inexplicable. Or Mobile quarterback, uh, Russell Wilson. Yeah, a mobile quarterback where the play is dead. The line is trashed and and a quarterback makes a play you know out of nowhere or a pick six you know where a tip ball is just like inexplicable shenanigans basically do you agree with this statement As, aside from shenanigans 
there's no way the Eagles win this game. Yeah, it's it's definitely exactly what you just said. If if they lose this game, it's uh, you know that's that's a huge disappointment. I mean, that's that's a bigger disappointment than losing on the last play against a team, you know, last year in the playoffs. I, I just feel like losing this game, you know, the shock wouldn't be the same, but like the devastation, I feel like should be greater because I think if this team. I'm almost afraid to say this, but like if they don't make the Super Bowl, it's it's kind of a disappointment, right? Well, here's a, here's my rule, Nick. If you lose a home playoff game, your season is devastating and feels empty. And I walked out of a dome a bunch of times under Jim Moore. Like you lose when you lose when you lose a road playoff game, it's just different. When you lose at home, you feel like we earned being home, and we're better than this team because, and that's why we're home and we lost. Um, I say about this game. If the Saints lose, it's going to be one of the most painful experiences in Saints history because it's going to be three and a half hours of the Saints stepping on rakes. Like right. that's what that's like that's what it's going to be. It's going to be penalties. It's going to be turnovers. It's going to be just it's going to just be them not playing well. So that's why it would be terrible. My question to you, Nick, is with Philadelphia. You talked about how their plan is was so terrible and dudes are running wide open. So what are they going to do if they're not going to do that? Which Sean Payton and Drew Brees said, hey, this plan that they ran against us, we had never seen them do it on film. And so it was totally new to us. And it, did, it didn't matter. They still rose to them. But what, what do you think Philly's going to try to do? Because they're going to have to come up with a plan that's not what they did before. Yeah, I mean, my expectation is that, you know, they can't. They, Kept Malcolm on Alvin on a lot of passing downs when he, he came out of the backfield. So I would expect them to do the same thing, uh, you know, but I would probably, if they have the personnel to do it, I would probably try to play a big nickel most of the game. So that way, you know, you can still kind of double Mike and maybe drop someone back to the assistant other coverage. I don't think you can, you can let Ted Gimby one-on-one the whole game. Eventually he's going to get open. If you do that the whole game and they pass 40 times, you're probably giving up four plays at 25 or yards so you know that that would be the one thing that that i think i would expect them to do differently and then the other thing is a blitz breeze on 33 percent of their snaps drew kills the blitz so probably shouldn't blitz that much again in the the rematch yeah that's interesting i i hear you setting that up and i think um i think about how mark, mark ingram could have a huge game potentially if they go nickel significant you know significant amount of plays and there's an opportunity there for the saints ran the ball pretty well on the eagles in that 48 to 7 game but i I could just see this being a game where they lean on ingram and surprise the eagles by pounding the ball on the ground more than some expect um nick i made the statement earlier in the year when the saints acquired teddy bridgewater that i had a hard time seeing bridgewater and breeze both on the roster next season uh, we had Zach Streif on the podcast, and he disagreed with that. And I don't know if that was just wishful thinking or his gut, um, or if he had inside information where he felt like the Saints had an inside track on bringing Bridgewater back, even if Breeze was back next year. Uh, now that we're into the playoffs and further into the season, and I mean, you know, God willing, the offseason doesn't start Sunday for the Saints, but, you know, it, it, it's coming, uh, whether it's after the Super Bowl or as soon as this week. Do you, as we get closer, do you have any sense of where things stand with Teddy Bridgewater? Do you see him on the roster with Breeze next year? I don't have any, like, you know, sense gathered from 
reporting or anything. So everything I'm saying is just my thoughts. So I don't want anyone to read too deep into it. Uh, you know, I would set the floor probably on Teddy's salary at about an average annual value of 17 and a half. And I would expect that to be even higher. You know, I think people think he's going to get paid a lot lower. And I, I just don't see that happening. I think he's he's going to have a pretty good market. And it's going to cost somebody something to keep him. You know, I think what it's going to come down to for him, you know, A, does he like the culture here? He sees what he has, you know. If you wait a little bit longer, you're going to be set up for success for probably a very long time. And, you know, he's he's waited quite a while to have that opportunity. But, you know, if he goes somewhere else, it's probably not going to be as good. So he's he's going to have to, you know, weigh that. So th does he want to lose another year sitting as a backup, you know, which is at least another year? Because I would assume Drew comes back and he's got a year left on the contract. And then who knows after that? So. Would there be some assurance that one more year of Drew and then, hey, it's your time, Teddy? Like, if there is, is he willing to wait? I could see a scenario where he isn't willing to wait, though, because he's already, what, three years without having a chance right. to play. So then now you're giving up a fourth year. And I know he's fairly young, but, you know, as a competitive guy, you probably believe in yourself to a certain extent that you could start looking at a situation that's probably not very good, but you think, hey, I can go there and I can turn that around because – you know, I'm good at what I do and I can change it. And I want to play and I don't want to wait. So it, it depends, you know, does he have the foresight to say, hey, I can stay here and compete for titles immediately or I can go here and if everything goes right and the whole thing's on my back, maybe they turn it around. So it, it's a tough decision. I, I could see it either way for him. Uh, you know, you would, if you're a Saints fan, you probably hope that he, he waits around. And also he's a lot better than he played in that game. I think that game was weird and I don't think anybody should put too much stock in it. You know, lines not out there. They're trying to get Mike Thomas a record. There's just a lot of weird stuff going on. And then when I rewatched it too, it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was live, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. I have no idea what he's going to do. They can afford him. They can figure out how to pay for him. They figure out how to pay for everybody. Just throw a bunch of fake years on seven or eight guys contracts and whatever happens, happens. People talk about the cap, but they, it's taken me a long time to get here, but I don't even look at the cap anymore because they just do things that <laughs> other people do and it always works. And, you know, at some point it's not probably not going to work, but they can probably keep it going as long as they want by just pushing stuff out. So if they want to keep them, they can keep them. It's just, it's just up to Eddie. Nick Underhill, a convert to Loomis math. I love it. Um, guys, before we continue, I want to take a second to tell you about our new friends at Ticks Blix. The official ticket provider of Armchair Media Network, unlike other ticket providers that sneak in extra fees and unexplained service charges, with Ticks Blitz, the price you see is the price you get. Unnecessary fees shouldn't prevent you from seeing sporting events, concerts, and Broadway show of your choosing. Go to TixBlix.com, enter the code Armchair at checkout and receive 5% off your ticket purchase. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com, promo code Armchair, TixBlix. Guaranteed seats, guaranteed emotions. Tixblix is about the hardest word I could ever say in my life. Um, so, Nick, give me a scenario. Um, Nick, give me a scenario where things are going badly for the Saints, but it's not a shenanigans game. It's not turnovers. It's not these crazy things. What would you be looking for that Philly's doing well? early in the game where you'll be like, oh, that's interesting. That didn't happen in the first game. That could be a problem. 
Oh, I guess their defense playing well. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. That's, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> it's, it's a tough one. You know, I, I just don't. I think the Saints are going to do what they do on defense. So it, it, if that were to happen, it would, it would have to be Philly figuring out a way to kind of shut them down and, and you know, get a lot of pressure and, and just make things really uncomfortable. And I, I just have a hard time seeing how that would happen. I just, I just don't see it. I feel like America doesn't believe in the Saints defense. Like the national media, like the people that aren't necessarily analytics people, just like commentators and, and you know, Stephen A. Smith and all that. I feel like I listen to shows, they don't believe in the Saints defense. They keep talking about Fitzpatrick and what he did to the Saints and all this. Like, is that, am I crazy to believe that, like, and maybe you know this better than me, Nick, because you've been on a bunch of different shows nationally and all that sort of thing, that America just, they're just like, ah, eh, the Saints defense is not that good. I don't respond to a lot of radio requests, so you guys should feel special, first of all. So I don't talk to a lot of people about the Saints. Uh, you know, it's basically my podcast and WWL News, and, like, that's it, and the occasional Seth Dunlop show. We, so We I, are special. I, Thank you, Nick. We appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know what people are saying about him. I, I don't read a lot of stuff about the Saints. I, I kind of try to, you know, stay in my own lane, and I don't like to get influenced by other things people are saying. So I'm, I'm kind of, like, in this weird bubble, but – you know, the one thing that, that probably doesn't help is that, you know, I do see that PFF does not like a lot of Saints defensive players and they tend to get a lot of bad grades. But I don't know. It seems like they're doing decently enough. You know, nobody's running on them. The past defense is solid. You know, there's a few letdowns here and there. Eli Apple gets, you know, too many penalties. Marshawn has had a couple bad games. You know, Antonio Brown, uh, Mike Evans. But other than that, you know, it, it feels pretty steady and solid and you know i i don't know i i feel like i feel like the defense is pretty good i for a while there i felt like it was the better of two units and it still might be you know i feel like things started to head back in the right direction against pittsburgh but if that's like kind of where the offense resides then you're kind of looking more at the defense outside of that game you know i, I thought they were really really good in the second half of the season so you know i i don't know they, they might not be getting that respect but they should be all right, well, Nick, you've uh, you've been awesome. Thanks for doing this. Um, I have one last question for you. Um, I think you've done a great job setting this up for us, and I think Saints fans should hopefully feel better after listening to this about this matchup. I feel better. I do, too. Um, Nick, what's the one thing that you feel like you'd like to see in this game? And I'm mainly looking for an answer that's something we either haven't seen before or a player – improving but what, what's the so let's assume that the saints are going to win this game for the sake of this question and they're going to play a certain way they'll either kind of grind it out or they'll win convincingly whatever but is there one thing you feel like you need to see to set this team up to do you have confidence in the rest of the road I'm going to give you two, and neither one of them are going to be as clever as you want, but these are the two things that I feel like have to happen. One, like, I want to see the offense air it out, and Ted Ginn makes a bunch of plays, and, like, there's one sigh of relief, I guess, if if you're a Saints fan, because you see him settled all the way back in. You see the offense click after, you know, four weeks of not quite what it was. You know, that, that last Philly game was kind of the peak, and then it kind of went downhill from there for the offense, so that would kind of be, like, a little bit of a return, and you know, they probably weren't as good as they looked against Philly, against everybody else. But, like, it's just been a little bit out of sorts, just just a little bit. And getting back 
the timing back, everything just settled back in, I think would be a big one. The other one, just seeing Tron Armstead block someone with two arms and then do that in the first quarter and then on the last play in the fourth quarter, like if those two things happen, I feel like things are really set up for them to kind of, kind of, you know, go as far as they want to go. Tron's road could end at any minute, but the longer you have him, the higher your odds are of, of the Saints getting to the Super Bowl, I think. Well, so you you gave us your prediction earlier, so that's pretty much it for me. The, the last thing, I guess, is, you know, you mentioned the, the bad scenario, the good scenario. Do you feel like this team, th- their, their struggles during the year, they didn't have like a losing streak, and they sort of fixed their problems as they won, right? They traded for Eli Apple. And they did that sort of st- stuff. And, you know, they didn't have a dip where they're like, oh, my God, we've lost three in a row. we got to get another corner. It was like, we're winning, but Joe Flacco just drove the length of the field on us. We need another corner, and we need it now. So what's been the overall – you talked about at the beginning the vibe of this team, but how do you feel like it is compared to this time last year when they were heading into Minnesota? See, the thing I think a lot of people forget about last year is at the end of the year, the defense was, was really kind of like falling apart slowly. And it was kind of just being held together bit by bit. Lattimore had the ankle injury. He wasn't quite Lattimore. You know, I I don't feel like there was as much confidence anywhere about that team as there, as there was about this team going into the playoffs. I think this team, the expectation is much, much higher for them to win. You didn't hear stuff about Sean Payton bringing in a quarter million dollars and you know, putting it on a table and, you know, <laughs> flexing for everybody and doing all this stuff. So I, I think he's, I just think everybody is, is much more confident. I feel like, you know, they're kind of looking, I don't want to say they're looking down the road, but I just feel like, I feel like the team itself just expects to win a lot more than last year. And I'm not saying they didn't expect to win last year, but, you know, from day one, they, they've just kind of embraced the expectations to prove them right banners and, and all that stuff. They haven't kind of been afraid to talk about the future and, and what they want to do and where they want to go. And it's, you know, I don't, I just feel like the confidence around this team is, is just tremendously higher. And, you know, going into this game, it's just, Sean's been really relaxed. He's been in a great mood all week. You know, it's just, I think they really expect to win and, and they should. I mean, they've proven that all year. And if they don't, like we said, it's it will be a very shocking thing if they do not win. See, Saints fans feel better. That's what we're saying. So, th- Nick Underhill, thanks for joining us, guy. Uh, we appreciate it. We know you're swamped this week. Uh, people, you know where to find him. His podcast is awesome as well. Uh, thanks, guy. We'll talk to you down the road, maybe. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. All right.